What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. On July 6th, freedom fighter and black liberation activist Dr. Matula Shakur made his transition. Here to discuss his life and legacy is Kalanji Jamachanga, an organizer, founder of the FTP movement, co-chair of the Urban Survival and Preparedness Institute. Kalanji is also the co-founder of Black Power Media, author of the best-selling book, How to Build a People's Army, co-producer of the documentary Organizing is the New Cool, and my longtime brother and comrade. Good morning, brother Kalanji. How you doing today? Hey, I'm great. The most important thing you said was the last line, all the other stuff. Yes. Yes. Tw- tw- 20 years or, or, or so, I think, uh, we have been in relationship together. Kalanji, but this is your first time on the program. I want to start, actually, with uh, talking a little bit about you and your work, starting with, talk to us about what the FTP movement is. Okay, the FTP movement um, is a, I guess I would consider it a revolutionary nationalist uh, slash pan-Africanist uh, organization. Um, it is part of a larger group called the Siafu Movement. And, you know, we consider ourselves uh, one of many pieces of a people's army. You know, so we are anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist, and um, we are African first. And what types of activities organizing does the FTP movement engage in? And I'm I'm really going to stress the organizing piece, Kalanji, because a conversation I've been having, right, is that we are getting our butts kicked on the left because we are not producing organizers or organizing uh, campaigns in a fashion that's going to lead to wins of any significance for our folks right now, I think. Right on. No, I'm with you. So um, one of the main things we do is organize organizers. Um, So we work on everything from political prisoner campaigns, uh, anti-police terrorism, uh, of course, much of the work that you all do on um, over in the Bay, um, everything from feed the people situations to, um, you know, building survival programs, teaching folks urban survival preparedness. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we also have, um, we train folks on how to become immediate responders. One of our uh, comrades was a uh, combat medic for 26 years, so um, that's part of our, our program, not only teaching um, our members, but members of the community on how to respond, because we already know, as the uh, the uh, the prophet Flavor Flame once said, now I'm one of the joke. So we mm-hmm. teach uh, African martial arts um, and different ways to defend and protect ourselves. And when we talk about urban survival preparedness, you know, not just from... Uh, quote-unquote, natural disasters, the main man-made disasters as well. You know, we're, um, you know, we're, we're public enemy number one when it comes to, uh, you know, living here in the United States of America. Kalanji, you're in Atlanta, which is ground zero for a fight against the state terror training shop, otherwise known as Cop City. We've covered that fight a bit on this show. What is the temperature on the ground in Atlanta right now? Well, as you mentioned, you know, we, we have to be clear that, um, Cop City is an extension um, or a, a piece of, of um, you know, we talk about Cop City, but we know that there are, there's a, um, uh, this is poly, a police state. So Cop City within a police state. But also we have to be clear that it is a paramilitary training ground, which is sponsored by corporations. Um, of course, we know that. And we also know that, you know, the police unions are backing it, so on and so forth. 
or the, uh, the the situation at hand is um, I don't think that many folks are clear that it is an, an international training ground. Um, here in Georgia, you have uh, Dilly, which is the Georgia uh, International Leadership, uh, excuse me, Georgia, in, Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange, which is uh, positioned right on the Georgia State campus inside of the Andrew Young Law Center. Yeah, civil rights uh, activist Andrew Young inside of his particular law building. Um, there's training that takes place that has been taking place for the last 30 years uh, in exchange between Israeli police officers, Israeli um, uh, combat forces, and Georgia police. So the cop city situation to us is will become an international playground for training, and um, you know so the temperature is you know, the same as everywhere else in the United States. It's just that it's being highlighted. But there's there's a cop city in every city right now. It's just that, you know, it hasn't made as much noise and it might not be as big as what's going on here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, let's move on to the primary reason we've got you on the show today. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of my listeners are familiar because the politics of this show. But um for, for those who aren't, in your own words, sum up for us as best as you can, because it's a big summation, because he was a big figure, or is, right? Our ancestors are still here. Talk to us about Dr. Matula Shakur. Dr. Matula Shakur, to me, is an example of a soldier who um, worked to attain general status. You know, so he's someone who was a... a a, a child soldier, if you will. Um, he started off advocating for his mother, who was blind. Um, he had to advocate and navigate navigate for her, you know, dealing with social services. And then he later on in his neighborhood, he was influenced um, by Minister Malcolm X when uh, folks in his Queens community would take him to, uh, excuse me, members of the Nation of Islam would take him to Harlem to hear Malcolm X speak. Um, he said in his words, that he had three fathers. Uh, he had an ide- ideological father, which is Baba Herman Ferguson, um, who was who he had met at a community center in Queens. Uh, Baba Herman was a former vice principal, and he was also one of the founding members of the Republic of Africa. Um, and he, and more importantly, he was more importantly he was a comrade of uh, El Hajj Malik Shabazz, and he was instrumental in the building of the OOAU. Um, so. Baba Herman was his ideological father. Then he had El Saladin Shakur, who was his spiritual father. And El Saladin Shakur was also the father of two of uh, uh, Matuba's friends, Lumumba and Zaid Shakur. Of course, we know Zaid Shakur was um, assassinated on the New Jersey Turnpike with uh, uh, when he was with Asad Shakur and Sundiata Kobe. His father, Saladin Shakur, was also one of the uh, comrades of Malcolm, and he took and, and Saladin Shakur was also the, uh, I would say, the progenitor or the founder of the quote-unquote Shakur clan. So Dr. Matula Shakur was one of his adopted sons, and you know he learned from him. And also his street father, known as Abu Budika, which many of us know um, throughout, you know, quote-unquote Black America, as Sonny Carson. He had a movie out called The Education of Sonny Carson. And he was also the father of uh, Professor X from X-Clan, for folks who know that particular history. But these three gentlemen uh, pretty much helped to prime uh, the Dr. Matula Shakur we know now. Um, the Dr. Matula Shakur who uh, grew from that uh, 
child from a teen to a, uh, a, 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 a general, as I mentioned earlier, you know, someone who joined the Republic of New Africa at, uh, in 1968 during its formation. I had talked to Baba Herman Ferguson once before, and one of the things he told me was, um, he said when they had this big shootout at New Bethel Church in uh, Detroit during one of their conferences um, where the police had vamped on, on the uh, church and the police officer was killed, during the shootout, as bullets ran through the um, uh, through the church, the Baba Herman talked about how young Dr. Matula Shakur, young Matula Shakur, threw him and his wife, Ialua, to the ground and laid on top of him and covered him. He was 16, 17 years old, and he was fearless and brave enough mm. to um, make sure that his elders was safe. So he risked his life at a, at a young age. So this is the type of character Dr. Matula Shakur was. Um, of course, he went on to become an acupuncturist and, um, you know, of course, a freedom fighter throughout the community. And later he was um, charged or implicated in 1981 uh, Brinks truck expropriation. I want to talk about his role as, as a healer. There's a lot of talk these days uh, about healing justice in movement work. Talk about the ways in which Dr. Matula Shakur was ahead of the game in this conversation, and specifically about his work with the Black Panther Party and the Young Lords, uh, Bronx's Lincoln Hospital. Right. So 1970, um, Matula got involved in a Lincoln Detox Community Center. Uh, dealing with addiction treatment, he started as a political education instructor because um, the folks understood, you know, the organizers understood that, um, you know, all things are political, everything is political, and the so-called addiction is political, addiction treatment, you know, from, you know, even with methadone, it was, it was all a political situation to keep folks hooked. So Dr. Shakur, you know, coming in as a political education instructor, um, you know, eventually he evolved into uh, becoming a counselor and worked on, you know, treatment for withdrawal symptoms with acupuncture. Uh, in 1976, he ended up being certified and licensed to practice uh, acupuncture in the state of California. And eventually he became the um, program's assistant director and, you know, remained with the program until about 1978. And uh, later on, between 1978 and 1982, he, um, and a brother by the name of, I, think, I can't think of his name right now, Dr. Richard, um, sorry, my brain is kind of all over the place. But anyway, he co-founded and co-directed the um, what's known as BANA, which is the Black Acupuncture Advisory Association of North America, um, and another program over at the Harlem Institute of Acupuncture. So, um, you know, he managed detox programs. He taught a whole lot of brothers and sisters. Many of them are our comrades today. Um, many of them were involved in his healing uh, uh, activities when he was released on that compassionate release situation. So, you know, Dr. Matuba Shakur, when you talk about, you know, like you said, there's a lot of loose talk about healing within movement circles. Right. And oftentimes, you know, keeping it, <laughs> keeping it funky, you know, the healers need healing. And, right. Most time it's dealing with mental health or past addiction, so on and so forth. So that was kind of one of the things that Dr. Shakur focused on. Um, he had that insight as early as 19, 20 years old. 
you mentioned the 1981 Brinks uh, truck robbery the, uh, that ended up getting him sentenced uh, to 60, I believe it was 61 years. He did 37 of those years. And Kalanta, you just used words that I, I, I'm assuming you put in air quotes, you know, that it, compassionate release. Um, there's nothing compassionate about how long they kept Dr. Matula Shakur locked up inside of that cage. Talk about the time that he was um, on the other side of the walls, his continued uh, service of the people and the fight to set him free. Right. So, of course, Dr. Shakur, as you, as you mentioned, was a lifelong organizer, you know, and that's important because, as you mentioned earlier, you know, folks use the word organizer, organizing loosely. Um, you know, nowadays you have, you know, folks who are internet organizers or you have uh, nonprofit social justice orgs who pretty much co-op, you know, on the groundwork. You know what I'm saying? They they just take the pictures and, you know, get paid. But Dr. Matula Shakur, while he was captured, I remember when I first got to Atlanta, I'm originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut, in 2004, I was uh, at our 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 version of uh, the station that you all have there, WRFG. Um, I remember sitting there with uh, one of uh, my OGs, who's an ancestor right now, uh, Sister Courage, um, uh, and Jerry Algani. And I remember she was interviewing me, much like we're doing right now, and Dr. Matula Shakur called in. So before I could even begin talking, she told me, to, you know, hold on, uh, you know, Dr. Shakur's on the line. So, you know, he's speaking and whatnot, and, you know, um, you know, we greet each other. And one of the things that he talked about, he said, um, you know, many of us are locked up not for any particular crime that we committed, but because of the work that, you know, folks like Kalaji and FTP is doing, right, on the streets. And it, it blew my whole top off because of the fact that I didn't know that he even knew that we existed. You know what I'm saying? But this is the type of person he was. He had his finger on the post of the streets. Even though he was, quote unquote, um, in the cage, he still knew what time it was outside. And I'm saying all that to say that during his stay in Atlanta Federal Prison, the same space that uh, they held Honorable Marcus Mosaic Garvey, um, he began to teach and organize uh, you know, everyone from the quote unquote street organizers to uh, the everyday brother, um, you know, that was locked up. So much so that they ended up transferring him to uh, Coleman uh, Federal Penitentiary down in uh, Florida. And there, they actually had, you know, brothers and sisters come in to visit him. He would have uh, teachings and, and uh, almost like almost like festivals, you know what I'm saying, where, you know, folks came in from the outside, hip-hop artists, so on and so forth, and engaged and uh, interacted with the the quote unquote uh, inmates, the you know the, the those the captives, and uh, you know the, the the prisons respected them highly. I spoke to several different you know former um, uh, I don't know if I want to say uh, what do you, what do you say former cellmates should I say, and you know they talked about all the things that he taught them and how they had all types of different gang truces and or street organizing organizing truces and you know just you know he was able to reach the people and that work was so impactful 
that they end up getting rid of the warden and shipping Dr. Matumba Shakur at the time to um, uh, Colorado Supermax, Admax, you know, mm. because he was just that effective. You know, so Dr. Matumba Shakur wasn't just, as many folks talk about, stepfather of Tupac Shakur. He was a, a freedom fighter. I had the opportunity to speak to him um, a few months ago. I was actually leaving a concert and I got this call and it was like after midnight and it's like three times in a row. So I pick up the phone and it was one of uh, my brothers and he said, I got somebody I want to speak, want, want to speak to you. I said, all right. You know, I'm like, who the hell want to speak to me after midnight? And <laughs> it was Doc. And of course, you know, he could have called at two in the morning, three in the morning, whatever. But, you know, it was just good to hear and feel his strength and his energy. And he was still making efforts even during his, uh, you know, his illness to keep furthering, you know, this fight, telling us to make sure that we support other political prisoners like Imam Jamil Alameen, Baranza Bowers, and others. So, you know, again, a, a lifelong organizer that, uh, and he, he reminds me of Marcus Garvey because I remember uh, reading about Marcus Garvey being locked up in Atlanta for the federal penitentiary and the uh, a reporter asking him or saying to him, like, we got you now, Mr. Garvey, what you going to do? And Garvey said that you may have the lion in the cage, but I left many cubs in the bush. And I often say that we are those cubs that were in the bush. And I attribute the same thing to folks like Dr. Matulu Shakur, because for me, he's someone that I began writing back in the 90s. And, um, you know, and, you know, his spirit, like you said, will will live on. But he definitely left a uh, you know a legacy that's hard to follow. You touched on something, and this will be my my last question. But I want to tug at this thread a little bit more, Galanji. I mean, part of the work that you do is engaging uh, with political prisoners, right? And and refusing to allow their names to be forgotten. There are still so many freedom fighters that are languishing in American concentration camps. What is our obligation to them, and where are we failing our comrades? Man, that's that's the heaviest question you asked all day. I think that, um, really, to be honest with you, um, I don't think that it would it would um, serve any of us any justice if we don't put our political prisoners at the forefront of our fight. I think that, um, of course, any one of us, you know, could become a political prisoner at any time. You know what I mean? So my position is, if you're not going to fight for those who fought for us, then we don't stand a chance because we're just out here like moving targets. So if I don't care what type of organization you say you have, it can be animal rights, it can be housing justice, it can be, um, you know, LGBTQ plus, it can be um, whatever, the environment. If you're not talking about political prisoners, then you ain't saying because of the fact that again, we are up against this uh, against this, this brutal beast with real teeth. We're up against um, an oppressive regime, and their job is to uh, pummel us, bury us, you know, murder us, you know, execute us, etc. And if um, if we don't recognize that our political prisoners are the closest things to quote unquote family and comrades, then, you know, we, we, we actually think we're thinking. 
wise words to end on. Brother Kalanji, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always good to be able to connect with you. We've been moving so fast. We don't get to do it often enough. Um, but it's good talking to you this morning. Revolutionary yes, love, and I appreciate your work always. Same way, brother. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.